Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back, Maximizers. Kurt Mortensen here, episode 228. We're cranking them out. We're going to talk about the art of handling objections today. But hopefully you're having good weeks. You're achieving your goals. You get to the part of the year where you're like, hmm, am I keeping my goals? Am I working towards my goals? Hopefully the answer is yes. It's been a big week around the world. It's always interesting, the term, if you've heard it before, called cognitive bias. You see what you want to see. You hear what you want to hear. We see this in sports as at a basketball event. And if you ever go to a basketball, high school, college, football, could be any sport, and sit there as a neutral party, it is amazing how things get so skewed. Football, one side says, oh, good hit. The other side says, cheap shot. So who's telling the truth? One side thinks it's a foul. The other side doesn't. Who's telling the truth in politics? <laughs> it's amazing as I look at politics as a neutral third party. People are out of their mind. Their cognitive bias is just through the roof. If you're one party, everything the other party does is dumb, weird, strange, bad, or wrong. Same thing for the other party. It's just amazing how everything gets so skewed. One of my favorite studies done a few years ago this last election where you'd bring someone to a, this political rah-rah session like it's your party it's an awesome candidate and you go they're like wow they, they are awesome they're perfect You're like oh we went to the wrong room that's the other party then they're like wall oh, we don't like them <laughs> so try to be aware of cognitive bias try to look at things neutrally it'll really open up your minds on how skewed our brains get We'll do anything to prove that our sports team, our political party, our beliefs are correct. And we see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. And man, it is screwing everything up. But anyway, just put it out there. Take a look at it this week and let me know via email. And of course, my email is Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We're available on iTunes and Spotify and other favorite listening areas. You know, I always want to say something like that. MaximizeYourInfluence.com is the official home of Maximize Your Influence. And of course, the archives are available at InfluenceUniversity.com, which is part of the free membership unless you want to take a deep dive into the 52-week PhD Advanced Persuasion Program. So that's our housekeeping today. Let's get into it. As we teach you how to maximize your income, maximize your success, maximize your persuasion, negotiation, influence, and motivation skills. Homework, go! Don't, don't, don't! So if you're new, that's Homer. He's the sound of our blunder, the biggest blunder of the week. In fact, I could probably dissect this into 10 great blunders. A jewelry store. Famous for high pressure, famous for markups, famous for negotiating. And the blunder is self-negotiating. Now I just bruised around, had some time to kill, went to a jewelry store. Didn't have really anything in particular to buy or look at, but you know, you can always get some points with jewelry. And they were showing me this beautiful necklace. It was nice, I liked it, but many of you already know I do suffer from RBF, which is resting, insert the B word, angry face. <laughs> Google it if you haven't seen it. That just means that in my neutral 
emotionless form. My face looks very angry. And I don't feel angry. I know my wife diagnosed me and she tells me, come on, smile, do something. You're looking pretty angry here, like if I'm sitting on the stand getting ready to speak. And RBF, though, is awesome for negotiating. And the blunder is called self-negotiating. We've talked about this briefly before. It's when you start negotiating yourself when someone has either RBF, uses silence, and or both. So I'm like, okay, how much is the necklace? And this young man told me the price and my RBF'd it. Use a little silence and he came down in price. A little more RBF, a little more silence. He came down again. And he just I just kept doing that. And he came down probably about 200 bucks all by himself without even asking. I thought the price was pretty fair. You know, I don't know that much about jewelry. I probably would have asked because that's the rule. You always ask for a better deal. But he negotiated with himself and kept going and kept going and kept going. And we all get guilty of that sometimes when somebody's too silent they don't say anything, they don't ask any questions, they look indifferent, they look angry, whatever it is, be careful that in a situation like that, that you don't start negotiating with yourself. When you feel like there's a lot of silence, and you have to realize that every negotiation school out there, every seminar, except for mine, teaches you the first one to talk loses. And there is a time and place for that, but the reality is if everyone's been to the same school, no one's talking, it gets pretty awkward, you can still maintain control with a great question. And that's what we're talking about today is how do you handle objections? How do you handle questions? How do we understand that art and that science? Before we do, we got to get into the geeky article of the week. Big talk of the town is the Olympics. And this comes from John Hopkins University and themindguild.com about how to predict which Olympic athletes won't choke. <laughs> so which ones will choke and those who won't choke. And I think it's been kind of sad. Americans have been pretty sad with their medal count and everybody's choking. But, you know, I don't know what the expectations were. Or oh, I know everyone wants to win, that their country's the best. But as you know, that mental programming is more important than the physical programming with any aspect of life, especially at that level in those Olympics. So this is uh, Dr. Vikram Chib, hopefully I said that right. He said the people that can maintain a very stable reward activity tend to be the ones that don't choke under pressure. He is a professor of biomedical engineering. Okay, at John Hopkins that we talked about. And he looks at different ways that incentives will motivate performance. Some people play for very high stakes. And the people who are most likely to choke will exhibit big swings of activity in the area of the brain located where it encodes value. So within these people... Whenever the incentive is bigger, that area tends to light up more. He says the more it lights up, the more you tend to choke versus he compares it to the hockey player taking that penalty shot. Are they visualizing the score? Are they visualizing the thousand hours of practice? This is nothing. They've got this. Or are they visualizing being worried about failing and missing, all the fans booing, losing their jobs, people throwing their popcorn at them, and the whole world hating them? Maybe it doesn't get that extreme. So he says the area of the brain that's responsible for encoding reward and potential gains and losses is interfering with the motor performance. So he says the athletes who are most likely to earn the medal are either internally hardwired to be calm and cool, whatever the stakes are, or they have discovered a way to get into the zone mentally. So bottom line, if we're freaking out about reward, big reward, or the big punishment... 
That interferes with the way we think, our motor skills. Isn't that interesting? So there's two options, being calm and cool, realizing in the big scheme of things, it's probably not that big of a deal, hopefully, or really, what is the worst thing that could happen? And I do this with people that train to be public speakers. I mean, really, what's realistically, you know, some people like, die of a heart attack, get shot. Okay, no, realistically, what is the worst thing that could happen? And once you can accept that, then all of a sudden those parts of your brains don't fire and you can stay in better control. Interesting Brain Science brought to you by John Hopkins University and Dr. Vikram Chib. So I got some interesting uh, listener email. Did love to get it. And it was a lot on objections and questions and wanted me to spend some time on that. The art and science of handling objections. So first things first, as a persuader, you have to realize objections are good. They indicate interest. It means they're listening. It means they're contemplating what you're talking about. The worst thing as a persuader is no objections, no questions, and they just sit there indifferent. That's terrible. You don't want that. So you have to have the demeanor that you love these things. You love objections. You love questions because it indicates interest. Instead of trying to be all offended and say, you know, I talked about that 10 minutes ago. Weren't you listening? Are you that dumb? Really? You're dumb? No, no, no. <laughs> you laugh at that, but you're doing that on the inside. You get all mad. You get all tense. You get all easy. We already talked about that. How can they bring it up? Are they being mean? What's going on? No, embrace it. Enjoy it. Appreciate it. Thank them for it. That's one of the number one rules of objections. Thank them for it to keep the door open. Because if you because if you take it back to their school days where they feel dumb for asking a question or having an objection, you're not going to get another one, and you'll never be able to persuade them. Love them. Love objections. They're awesome. They indicate interest. It means you've got in their brain. What's better than that a persuader? You are in their brain, and that's where you need to be. This skill of objection is going to make or break you as a persuader. Are you ever going to have a presentation where there's no objections or questions? Very, very rare. Now, as a side note, you might be dealing with a stubborn person. No matter what you say, no matter what you're going to do, they're going to be angry, they're going to upset, they're going to have questions. The doors slam for persuasion. Don't let that worry about you. It's always about 5% of the population that no matter what's going to happen, they're going to be angry, they're upset, you told too many stories, you didn't explain it well enough, oh, there was a mistake in your PowerPoint slide. You didn't give them enough attention, you didn't answer their question, you didn't see them, whatever it is, right? Don't let it get to you. They're out there and, and just have to make a mental note. If they're that abusive and mean and condescending before you persuade them, you probably don't want to do business with them anyway because they're going to be that high maintenance prospect or customer that's going to suck the life out of you and it will not be worth the sale, the commission, or the relationship. Just saying, don't get too stressed about it. You can't persuade 100% of people 100% of the time, but other people in your world that are just mean, vindictive, everything you do is wrong. And these are the type of people you could deliver a perfect persuasive presentation. They're still going to find something wrong with it. So don't sweat about that 5% out there that are just negative that way. I know in my world, doing seminars, a couple hundred people, 30 say, awesome, thank you, changed my life. I should have learned this 20 years ago. Do you know how much money I've lost? I'm going to make it happen now. And then the one person's like, oh, I expected more from you. <laughs> We've talked about this before. 30 to 1 ratio, my brain, okay, my brain used to get stuck on the 1, but now I realize it's just how it is. Go with the 30, stick with the 30, and realize that no matter what you do or say, even if you're perfect, someone's going to beat you up mentally. All right, just go with it. Just understand that. That's human nature 101. So we got to the point, we love objections. You're welcoming them. So thank them for it and leave your ego at the door. 
Stays up late. Wow, I apologize. I should explain that better. Thank you for asking. Really appreciate it. Let's go talk about it right now. Even if you just spent 10 minutes talking about it, you still got to own up to it, even though it's not your fault. It's part of the process. But let's go through some steps here and ways to handle objections. So one of the first things you've got to do, besides the foundational stuff we've talked about, is find out whether the objection is something you can solve. Now, you got to realize this is a knee-jerk objection. Is this really true? And we'll talk more about that. Suppose you negotiate a huge order for this company. You're excited. It's really big. But they're declaring bankruptcy, and they're going under. They're laying everybody off. Doesn't matter. Anything you say or do is not going to resolve that. That's one of the first things you got to do. Is it a true objection, and can you solve it? Now, from there, the next step is let your prospect state. So, from there, let your prospect state the objection. Hear them out completely without interruption. Remember, it's the first time they've voiced that objection. Hold your response until they're done, until you've paused. Then they know that you're truly listening and they truly understand. Now, once they've done that, ask your prospect to restate or repeat the key points. This is called the replay. And when they replay the objection and they restate it or you help them restate it, it becomes clear in both your minds. And a lot of times they'll say, well, not quite, and they'll adjust it and fine-tune it. Nothing's worse than solving the wrong objection, especially when you're assuming it's the objection. It's not even their objection. You're probably giving them an objection. So when you allow them to repeat their concern, it also gives you time to think about the response and determine what type of objection this really is and the best time to solve it. And I've already talked about always compliment your prospect on the objection. You appreciate a good question, a good objection. Thank you. Appreciate it. Stay calm. Right? Don't get upset. They're not attacking you personally. Even if they are, you shouldn't get upset anyway. And don't ever interrupt or be condescending. Show them the empathy that they deserve. Thank you for bringing it up. And this is also a good time to bring up a third party, a testimonial to kind of prove your point. And a final note here is give the person room to save face. People will often change their minds and agree with you later. Because if you back them into a corner, you give them a little room to change their minds, see a different point of view, then that no could become a yes, or that maybe could turn into a yes. Because if they feel dumb or you think it's a bad question, you're not gonna be able to persuade them. You're not gonna be able to persuade them. That slams the door of persuasion. And sometimes, listen closely here, you might need to create a different yes. If they're like, no, 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 don't think so, the more no's you get, the harder it is to turn that no into a yes. So a couple of things you can do. The first is if you feel a no coming on, just say, Well, you know, let's revisit this in a few weeks. So I'll do a little more research, crunch a few more numbers, so you don't get a no. That's easy to turn the yes, but if you keep getting the no, 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 come up with a different yes. All right, Kurt, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you. For example, if they want to buy a big machine and you're trying to go through accounting to get this big machine, whatever, very expensive, they know it's no, 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 no. Come on, let's buy it. We got to buy it. No, no, no. They've said no so many times, you're going to get a no no matter what. Change the yes. Well, let's lease the machine. You don't care. You're getting the machine, lease it. So they don't have to go back and save face. It's something different. It's a different type of yes. And sometimes it's easier to get a different yes than the yes you've been trying to get over and over again. So if you're having a challenge figuring, okay, is this a knee-jerk, fake, lie objection, or is this a true objection, go back to episode 208 in the archives at influenceuniversity.com, and you can listen to that episode. 
But let me add some final notes here. You've heard me talk about inoculation before. That is pre-solving objections before they happen. Why is it called inoculation? Just because like the shot in the medical field, it's a weak form of the disease. It gives you the antibodies to fight off the strong form of the disease. So if you know with 99% accuracy that a objection is coming up, pre-solve it before it even comes up. Yep, we were over budget last time. But let me tell you what we learned. Yeah, we are the most expensive on the market, but you know what? When you divide that by five years, we're actually one of the least expensive ones on the market. You inoculate your kids against drug dealers. Yeah, they're going to make you feel dumb. This is what you say. This is what you do, right? Give them the antibodies to be able to do it. Lawyers, hey, my client's being ugly and a bad member of society, and that's true. But that's not why they're on trial here today, right? That is what you want to do. It's called the inoculation. Gangs do this. They inoculate the new people. Yeah, this is what your parents are going to say. This is what the school district is going to say. This is what police officers are going to say. That's the negative side, but that's what they use. So inoculation increases your credibility and your ability to persuade. You basically prepare your audience in advance about the negative things someone could say about you, your product, your service, idea, your company. So when it is said, they have the ammunition, the antibodies, the information they need to refute whatever's coming at them. Network marketers. Yeah, Uncle Frank should call you dumb. We'll call it a pyramid scheme, but the reality is, here's the truth. So when that happens, they don't go hide in a the closet. They know exactly what to do, say, and think. Study was done with the group of people that were about to be persuaded. The intention was to change their minds on a certain topic. One group was told they were going to be exposed to a message that would attempt to persuade them. And the other group did not receive the same warning. The results showed that the group that was warned up front were actually persuaded less than the group that did not receive the warning. Hence, the group that was told they were going to be persuaded developed resistance before the message even started. This is why you never start your presentation with, today I'm going to persuade you. So you got to be careful about what you plant. When you say something like that, people automatically can resist you. But if you know a question or objection is going to come up, don't wait for their brain to hit a brick wall. Because if they have an objection, they don't hear anything else of what you're saying. I'm not saying come up with every potential objection, just the one or two maybe you know for sure that are coming up. That's what makes the difference. And that's another point. If you see their face that they're confused, they're not quite sure, they're getting angry, it's time to stop and figure it out because they're not listening anyway. They're stuck on that question or objection. But let me share with you some latest research from the new edition of Maximum Influence. Remember, of course, lawsofinfluence.com. The book is free. Pick up a little shipping and handling, and I will send it out to you. Just go to lawsofinfluence.com. But here's what was found out. With inoculation, there's a need for a booster shot. See, inoculation is not just a one-time shot. It must be continued with boosters, just like the medical field. When your goal is long-term influence, you need to provide periodic booster shots to make sure your prospect can counteract any arguments from the other side. One study revealed that when you can add boosters to your message, they will reinforce and extend the persuasiveness of your original message. The more you can reinforce these attitudes, the more you can inoculate against future attacks. And that means the more your attitude change will stick. What can you use as booster shots? Anytime you can introduce new research, third-party validation, it will increase the effectiveness of your original inoculation. But you can also use things like reciprocity, role plays, additional information, anything that would enhance your credibility. Love objections. Learn to inoculate. Pre-solve those objections before they happen. Notice them when they are happening and have a way to solve them that gives them a room to save face 
and cover the points we talked earlier in this podcast. Proven scientific principles at work about the art and science of handling objections. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit like. Make sure you tell your friends. Make sure you find us on Twitter at InfluenceMax and, of course, on Pinterest and Facebook at Maximize Your Influence. Also there on YouTube if you want to watch short videos on persuasion and influence. YouTube is also Maximize Your Influence. Great persuaders solve objections before they happen. They can notice when they're happening and they solve them in such a way where the person is grateful and thankful that they asked the question. Work on these skills this week, master them, and go out and persuade with power.